Welcome to this week's sermon audio from Covenant Presbyterian Church of Fort Smith. Covenant is a church devoted to theological depth, intimate relationships, joyous worship, relentless evangelism, and sacrificial service. Coming up, a sermon from our series, Romans, the Gospel for Sinners. Here now is our pastor, Dr. John Clayton. Turn with me to Romans chapter 16. Romans chapter 16, we'll be looking at the first 16 verses in the 16th chapter. And as you're turning there, I've said this to you before, uh, but in the years of uh, preaching, I have historically worked my way uh, through a book of the Bible. That doesn't mean that I don't occasionally preach topical sermons, um, but it has been my habit uh, for more than a decade now to preach through a specific book of the Bible. And so what does that mean? Well, it means that uh, we come to those uh, portions of Scripture that uh, there are perhaps millions of sermons that have been preached on that passage. And then there are other passages where, uh, if you're a topical preacher, you may never land. Um, And as I have said to you before, that's unfortunate. uh, Because I think that there are portions of Scripture that we may skip over, or perhaps even in your own daily Bible reading, that you come to it and you just simply skim it. And again, I think that this is unfortunate. I think that there uh, is a real benefit to us working our way systematically through a book. And that's my preface to saying that I think that you're really going to enjoy this passage of Scripture today. And you're going to pray for me as I attempt to pronounce names that I don't use in my everyday vocabulary. Right? (laughs) All right. Romans chapter 16 Starting in verse 1, hear now the reading of God's holy word. I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a servant of the church at Centuria, that you may welcome her in the Lord in a way worthy of the saints, and help her in whatever she may need from you, for she has been a patron of many and of myself as well. Greet Prisca and Aquila my fellow workers in Christ Jesus, who risked their necks for my life, to whom not only I give thanks, but all the churches of the Gentiles give thanks as well. Greet also the church in their house. Greet my beloved Epinetus, who was the first convert to Christ in Asia. Greet Mary, who has worked hard for you. Greet Adronicus and Junia, my kinsmen, and my fellow prisoners. They are well known to the apostles, and they were in Christ before me. Greet Ampliatus, my beloved in the Lord. Greet Urbanus, our fellow worker in Christ, and my beloved Stachys. Greet Apellus, who is approved in Christ. Greet those who belong to the family of Aristobulus, Aristobulus, greet my kinsman, Herodian, greet those in the Lord who belong to the family of Narcissus, greet those workers in the Lord, Tryphena, Tryphosa, greet the beloved Persis, who has worked hard in the Lord, greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord, also his mother, who has been a mother to me as well, greet Asyncritus, 
Phlegon, Hermes, Petrobus, Hermas, and the brothers who are with them. Greet Philologus, Julia, Nereus, and his sister, and Olympus, and all the saints who are with them. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All the churches of Christ greet you. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Let's go to him in prayer. Our gracious God in heaven, we do confess that you are source of all light. And that by your word you give light to our souls. And so this morning we ask that you would pour out upon us the spirit of wisdom and understanding. That being taught by you in holy scripture, our hearts and our minds may be open to know the things that pertain to life and holiness. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. A number of years ago, I visited with a young woman shortly after a remarkable recovery in her health, uh, perhaps even miraculous. Fully recovered, she now said to me, I want to do big things for God. A phrase that she repeated in our conversation. And to be clear, I did not doubt her zeal. It was apparent in our conversation. And had I been deathly ill, and if I had regained my health, perhaps miraculously, most certainly that would have contributed to a renewed zeal in my Christian life. But what gave me pause was not her zeal. It was its disconnect from the ordinary means of grace. She wanted to do great things for God, but she neglected the ordinary things of God in her life. And I thought to myself, perhaps before you attempt the extraordinary, begin by being faithful in the ordinary. In the end, she did neither. And I don't think this is an isolated example. In the age and culture in which we live, it would seem that mere Christianity is being translated into go big or go home. Even pastors now are encouraged in their, and these are true terms taken from emails that I receive, that we need to in, increase our outreach. And I need to, as a pastor, I need to increase my influence throughout because of the digital sphere in which we live. I'm told to ask, how many followers do I have in the Twitter sphere? That'd be a zero. And now, such antics may be funny were it not for the fact that concerning the church, it really is so very sad. But this is not to say that we all have this perspective. But still, I do believe that many of us undervalue our gifts and that we don't understand how valuable our gifts are to the church. We may value and even say that there are beautiful gifts demonstrated in Christian service. But simultaneously, we will say, well, but that doesn't include me. My gifts are not big enough, so to speak. To confront this fallacy... I suppose if I could, I'd love to, to write a letter to the church 
as Paul has done to the church in Rome. Perhaps I would say more than he says. Perhaps I would say less. But the list would be long and it would be varied in detail as I think about it. And some of you would be surprised that you made the list thinking of yourself as far too ordinary to be recognized. Yet your service to the Lord, your service to the Lord is vital to the church's health. This is what we find in our passage today. A list of Christians that are just like you. A list of Christians that are just like me. Some serving the church at large, some serving the church specifically. Let's pause for a second. I'm, I'm, I'm going to have to pray for us again. I'm having a hard time staying focused. Let me pray for us. Our gracious God in heaven, your word is inerrant. It is inspired. Your Holy Spirit has given it to us. And so we ask today that your Holy Spirit would speak through me. Help me to stay focused, to not be distracted, and to look to your word as spirit filled. And let me teach your church what we are to hear today. I pray that your Holy Spirit would descend upon us and that you would quiet distractions and that you would focus our hearts and our minds on the preached word today. We pray this dependently upon your Holy Spirit's presence among us. Amen. Well, this is what we find in our passage today. What we find today is ordinary Christians just like you and just like me. And as we look at this list today, here's what we find. We find some people who are listed by name. We find others who are listed by family. We find some that are referenced as brothers. And all of these saints. In a portion of scripture that, let's be honest, is oftentimes skipped over full of unfamiliar names and missing the tidbits that we would really love to know today, 2,000 years later, we learn a little bit about those serving in Rome, but we learn a lot about God's use of the ordinary to accomplish the extraordinary. And so I want to start with the first theme of ordinary people. Ordinary people in the church. And in an electronic age of communication, I know I don't have to remind all of you, but perhaps some of you, that you weren't always able to transmit a letter via email. It was carried. And in this case, it was carried with a commendation, which was common in that age. Also, who was sent carrying that letter was significant. He or she, as the case is here, must be trustworthy. They should be readily accepted into the church. And such is our introduction to Phoebe, a sister in Christ, probably a Gentile and from the seaport city of Centuria. Riding from Corinth, and incidentally, Corinth was located to the seaport city, Paul undoubtedly would have had a relationship with Phoebe. He trusts her, and he trusts her enough to send her with his epistle to Rome. She's a woman, she's a sister, she's a fellow servant in Christ. Now because Phoebe is referenced as a servant of the church at Centuria, using the Greek word diakonos, which is also translated as deacon, some have conjectured that Phoebe held the office of deacon. 
Now, to be clear, whether she held the office of deacon, I don't know. But I don't think this passage is a proof text for showing that. We need to avoid speculation, and let's look at what the Scripture says to us about Phoebe. What do we know about her? Well, here's a few things about her that we know that we can discern from this. She's actively engaged in serving the church. Phoebe has gained Paul's trust. She has supported many in Christian ministry, including Paul, likely, scholars tell us, from her own means and status. And she is worthy of the church's welcome and the Lord, and she's deserving of their help. All of that we can understand from this passage. Probably what Phoebe needs upon her arrival is food, lodging, and a Christian welcome of fellowship. Arriving in Rome, she is not a stranger. She's a sister. And she is, in fact, a fellow servant of Christ. And the unique aspects of vocational and pastoral Christian ministry Servants and helpers like Phoebe are a real blessing. As a minister of the gospel, Paul, Paul can depend upon her to deliver such a precious package as this epistle to the Romans. But he can also describe her in two terms, and perhaps you miss these two terms. We oftentimes pit them together. We don't often pair them together, and it's the terms of servant and patron. Did you see that? Servant and patron. Scholars believe that Phoebe was likely wealthy, that she was likely a person of high social status, and yet, and yet, Assisting the Apostle Paul was not beneath her. Serving as a fellow servant was not beyond her calling. And we too are called not only to serve the church, but also to support the church as Phoebe did. Yes, that is our calling. We too are called to be servants and patrons in Christ's church. Blessed is the church with women and men willing to serve the Lord with their time, with their talents, and with their treasures, like Phoebe. Transitioning from the, the church, uh, local church, or rather to the local church, Paul then offers greetings. And you see this repeated, don't you? He offers a lot of greetings. In fact, every sentence within this passage begins with the plural imperative. Greet, greet, greet. Over and over again, he is greeting. And who does he begin with? Well, he begins with a husband and wife missionary team. Prisca, or some of you in other translations will know her as Priscilla and Aquila. They were tent makers from Pontus. Now, why the couple is in Rome, we don't know. What we do know from Scripture is that they had served with Paul in Corinth. They had served with Paul in Ephesus, and now we find, here they are, assisting the church in Rome. They are fellow workers in Christ Jesus, Paul refers to them, and they even, and here is a beautiful idiom that translates directly from the Greek to our modern day today, they did what? <laughs> they risked their necks. They risked their necks for Paul, possibly in the riot of Ephesus, we don't know, but his life was saved by them or by their work. 
Whatever the case, Paul is thankful for them, directing the church to give thanks for them as well. In the historical accounts of Acts and 1 Corinthians and Ephesians, we may also assume this. We may also assume a deep and beautiful friendship between Paul, Prisca, and Aquila. We see over and over again where they are serving together in Christian ministry. And I don't think it is a stretch to think about this in the sense that they more than likely spent a lot of time together. They shared the same vocation of tent making. They also share a common passion for advancing the gospel. They share a common passion for serving Christ's church. And think with me for just a second about this friendship. Those willing to invest themselves in serving in and through the church well, it shouldn't surprise us to see friendships blossom. I know in this own church, our own church as well, where we have seen people that we didn't know before, and then we have become members of the church, and, and friendships have begun, and relationships have blossomed, and it is a beautiful thing to see this. If you think about it this way, if you share the same Savior and Lord, enjoy serving Him together, Aligning yourselves under the word of truth, relationships will form, relationships will flourish in the fertile soil of the fellowship of Christ. In the common bond of Christ, we may enjoy friendships that transcend the temporal and carry on to eternity. But there's a second theme that I want us to consider here. In addition to the ordinary people that are listed here, I also want to draw our attention to the ordinary service that we see. From Prisca and Aquila, Paul moves on to greet an assortment of saints. In all, Paul greets 27 individuals. Two households, along with Jewish and Gentile brothers and sisters and families, all saints, are to be greeted with a holy kiss, he calls it, which was a common greeting in the ancient Near Eastern world. Don't get any ideas. A handshake will work for me. But like the kiss, this passage in Romans, it can seem archaic. Historically intriguing, perhaps, but seemingly irrelevant. Does such a passage apply? Can we translate its applicability to us today? And I, I think the answer is yes. Perhaps not with a kiss, but in two notable ways that I want to bring to your attention. The first thing I want to bring to your attention in this long list is that Paul consistently uses the title of fellow worker. Fellow worker. It could also be translated co-worker. Paul is not an island to himself. Though the breadth of his ministry was truly extraordinary, it was dependent upon the ordinary service of many. He was not, as one commentator puts it, a lone ranger in Christian ministry. As Paul readily admits, his Fellow workers, and even some of them are not named. They labor with him for the sake of the gospel of Jesus Christ. This should serve as both a caution as well as a model for us today. 
A church's strength is not in a solo minister, but in the variety of the member's gifts put to work for the sake of the gospel and the edification of the saints. One person's gifts may be many, like the Apostle Paul's, but greatness in the church is not measured by one, but by many to the glory of God, the giver of gifts, for the blessing of Christ's church. By God's design, God uses our gifts. God uses our gifts in our ordinary service to accomplish the extraordinary. The second thing that I want you to note in this passage is that we that, that Paul's list includes men, women, couples, Jew, Gentile, brothers, sisters, saints. Well, they're, they're, they're all here, so to speak, right? I mean, some Romans, some of these are Roman transplants. Some of them are Jews and Gentiles, some married, some single, some new to the faith, some not. But the point that I'm trying to draw to your attention is, is that we all come to the church in our own gender, our own ethnicity, our own marital status, our own unique backgrounds, and even our own unique situations at the time when we come into the church. And God uses this in His sovereign construction. To paraphrase the Apostle Peter, building in the body of Christ one living stone at a time. Life in the church then is not egalitarian but complementarian. We are, as a church, we are lovingly dependent upon one another. But sometimes Christian service is stymied when we focus on what we can't do rather than energized by what we can. Your role and your gifts have been given to you specifically. And they have been given to you according to the providence of God. And they have been given to you in the season of life in which you find yourself. And they've not been given necessarily or precisely to others. Your role and your gifts are a gift from God. Fretting over whether you can't serve or why someone else isn't serving, frankly, is a waste of your time and mental energy. In addition, it is to disregard the providence of God. God has gifted you. Use your gifts. Trust the Lord, the giver of gifts. Embrace who you are in Christ. Where you are in this life. Even the season of life, as I said. And how God may use you in the ordinary service of the church to bless His church. Although not everyone is a minister, everyone has a ministry and whether your gifts align with Phoebe's or Urbanus's or a couple like Prisca and Aquila, Christ Church needs the ordinary yet faithful service of fellow workers like you and like me. The third area that I want, and I've been referring to as preaching the sermon, the third area that I want us to consider are the extraordinary results. 
not implicitly stated here, but certainly stated within the book of Romans. I want you to think back when we began this sermon series. Don't count how many months ago that was, right? Think back all the way to Romans 1. And there's something that in my study of this, I had forgotten until I began to look back through what Paul has said. And here he is at the conclusion. Looking back all the way in in chapter 1 in verse 8, Paul said, I thank God through Jesus Christ for all of you because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. Isn't that a curious statement? Especially after looking at this list of people here in chapter 16. Paul says, I'm thanking God. I'm thanking God because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. Now, of course, we know that Paul's world was narrower than we may understand it. It was the known world at that time. But still, the scope of his statement is remarkable, isn't it? Furthermore, historians now believe that this church in Rome grew organically. There is no written evidence that one of the apostles ever went directly to Rome. It probably grew out of Jewish and Gentile transplants organically growing in this capital city. Now, this is not to say, let's be careful, that the church in Rome was perfect. It wasn't without problems. I mean, here's what I've found in my own experience, and I believe that Scripture supports this. Whenever you get five, no, four, no, three, no, two, no, one, no, when you get zero, more than zero sinners saved by grace through faith in Christ, you got problems. More than zero, right? Mathematically proven, right? And so, it's not a perfect church yet. The saving righteousness of the gospel unites. In fact, it unites, as one commentary puts it, it unites personally. It unites communally. It unites socially in the body of Christ as the new people of God. And that's why in Rome, Jew and Gentile alike could come together. They understand this is the formation of a new people of God. And this is a beautiful thing that God is doing through the gospel. And as the people of God, we must never forget how extraordinary the gospel is. We hear a lot of people talk today about all of the things that we shouldn't take for granted. Well, brothers and sisters in Christ, don't take the gospel for granted. Through the ordinary preaching of the gospel, the Holy Spirit mysteriously and miraculously opens blind eyes, quickens lifeless hearts, brings new birth to one once dead in sin. And that is extraordinary. That is miraculous. Through simple faith, one once condemned to eternal death is reckoned as righteous and promised eternal life. That is incredible, isn't it? That is extraordinary. Though unseen by the mortal eye, the true believer is indwelled by the Spirit of God Himself. And through the ordinary means of grace, 
We are molded and made after the image of Christ. And if I'm a broken record, it's intentional. That is incredible. That is amazing. That is extraordinary. And all of this in and through the brilliantly ordinary church. How often we take for granted what God has done through churches like the church in Rome. And how often we take for granted what God is doing in churches like us. While God calls every one of us to ordinary service, what He does through us is truly extraordinary. So let us give thanks for what He has done, for what He is doing saved with saved sinners and saints like you and like me. And perhaps our faith too may be proclaimed in all the world to the glory of God. Amen. Let's pray. Our gracious God in heaven, we do thank you for the gospel of Jesus Christ. And as we have read this list that you have given to us in your holy word, we think also about ourselves. That you too have called us to serve in seemingly ordinary ways, and yet through our service, you use it for your glory. And so we ask today, O oh God, use us. May we be a faithful, obedient people, and may you get the glory in all areas of our lives. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's sermon. We hope you have grown in your knowledge of and love for God. Covenant Presbyterian is a PCA church that meets for worship on Sunday mornings at 10.30 a.m. Our address is 120 North 9th Street in historic downtown Fort Smith, Arkansas. For more information about Covenant, visit our website at www.cpcfs.org.